You're listening to Rise and Shine, broad chats with real women in small business. We explore the wisdom, stumbles, and wins of females who are carving out their own path in the free fall of business ownership. I'm your host, Rachel Green, SEO copywriter and founder of Shine Copy. Let's do it. Hello. In this episode of Rise and Shine, you're going to hear from Susan Riock. She's a copywriter, but no ordinary copywriter. Sue is a UX copywriter and strategist, a twin mum, and a genius at writing emails with irresistible subject lines that make it impossible not to open. Take the stage, Susan Riock. <laughs> ah, thank you. Wow, that's such a lovely intro and not one that I scripted. So that's always <laughs> nice to hear what people think about me behind closed doors. So thank you for that intro. <laughs> You're welcome. Those things obviously don't define you, but I feel like it's um good to hear right like rather than a standard bio that we all have in our business and that we kind of send out whenever people ask us for it it's nice to have a little bit of a different take so yeah <laughs> um anyway tell us about you sue uh, who you are and what you do and what lights you up yeah for sure um so like you said, Rachel, I'm a UX copywriter and strategist. And what that means is that I write, you know, similar things to a regular copywriter would write. I write killer websites, sales pages, emails, landing pages. I also write app copy, um, but we'll get a little bit more into what that means in a minute. But basically the UX part of it, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more too, but it's in a nutshell, zooming out um, to help clients figure out their customer journeys, plug any holes, smooth any points, smooth any points of friction, and just make sure that everything is really clear, compelling, and like super empathetic and user-focused. Okay. And does it incorporate SEO, considering that's you know my obviously my focus as an SEO copywriter? How does SEO fit into that? It definitely, it's not like exclusive. So SEO is really important to getting people to the website. So it's a huge part of the user journey, obviously. So if I'm writing web page copy, it will be keyword optimized. I wouldn't go so far to say that I'm like, you know, the technical SEO or anything like that. But definitely if I'm writing um, content, which I don't write so much anymore, but more unless it's for myself, but like web pages would, you know, have a focus keyword and be inserted in all the right places, but really naturally and organically too. So it's not that SEO and UX are in opposition at all, not at all. They work really well together. It's almost like they hand the baton to each other. SEO gets people to the page um, or to the website and great UX helps them achieve whatever they're trying to do um, and just, you know, make sure that it's a really great experience. Ah, so you are like the Swiss Army knife of copywriters. <laughs> well, I've been doing it for a really long time and I think I'm just really curious about it. So, yeah, I'm just always trying to learn and get better. Mm. Curiosity is a wonderful thing as a business owner, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you have to be. You really, I think you really have to be to thrive. What happens, do you think, if we stop being curious as business owners? I think like there are, there are periods like, you know, you're not always on your A game as a business owner. And I think accepting that there are seasons to business is fine too. And sometimes you do just have to, you know, go through the motions and do the work. But I think if curiosity was completely absent, I, I think it would be very hard for me to sustain like the amount of energy that it takes to run 
your own business. Mm, yes, I know what you mean because you're always, well, in my situation, I'm always wondering, oh, I could go that way or I could do this or I could learn that or I could connect with them or what will I find out? And, yes, curiosity is definitely a present um, way of thinking, I guess, for me <laughs> and I'm sure for many business owners, yeah. Um, that's a really good, sorry, but that's a really good point that it can also, there's a flip side to curiosity, which is distraction, um, <laughs> where you go, do you know, and this is something that for myself, I'm like, oh, maybe I will completely pivot and I won't do this thing at all and I'm going to do this other thing that's super attractive to me right now and it's like, no, no, like just stay focused, <laughs> keep moving forward. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely something that I battle with as well. Yes, I think in all areas of life, I'm like, oh, over there, look over there, look over there. <laughs> Even if it's just like as a mum, like when I'm in mama mode, I'm walking around the house, like on the way to the washing machine, I'm like, oh, I'll put that there. And oh, I need to remember this for school tomorrow. It's like, <laughs> it's just such a, a way of thinking that's like just there always, I think for so many of us. And in business, it's not that different, is it? <laughs> um, anyway. Um, Back to UX. So why do we need it, especially like as small business owners? Yeah, for sure. So for a really long time, UX has sort of um, been focused on the world of product development. So both physical and digital products. So in, in the digital realm, which we're in, usually that means like a functional site or app. And this is actually how I got my start, um, working at booking.com, big e-commerce website. Um, so you're helping people achieve a goal and that might be like making a bank transfer or checking into a flight, those really functional sort of experiences. Um, and you map out the user journey and you write lots of little bits of guiding copy called microcopy to help people complete the tasks that they want to do. And it's very heavily um, data and research based. So UX copywriting, which is what I do, is about bringing those same concepts um, and ways of working into the realm of marketing copy. So it's about seeing marketing websites, emails, sales pages, stuff like that as products um, that create an experience and then optimizing that experience for people reading them. And so I've thought of three, like there's so many advantages to this for small business owners, um, but I'll just focus on three for brevity. So number one is it stops customers from falling through the gaps and it makes sure that you're focused on the right things so that you can actually spend less time and investment on things that just aren't going to work. And an example of that would be, you know, you could be getting loads of people to sign up for your email list for example, but you haven't made it clear that they need to confirm their email subscription. So on your end, you're just thinking, oh, my email list gr growth is really sluggish. Um, I'm going to keep making more awesome freebies because, you know, I just need to get more people in. So I'm going to spend all this effort making these freebies and making a landing page and setting up an email sequence to go behind it. When really a much simpler solution to that could have been just making it really clear what people had to do after they subscribed, like just looking at that small part and optimising that part of the user journey as a first step. So that's a good example of like how it can save a lot of time and resource. Yes, this is like a light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> so the second thing, the second benefit is, uh, you know, and this is one very dear to I think most small business owners' hearts, is conversions. Um, I did some microcopy for someone um, recently on an upsell on her cart page. I think cart pages are very overlooked um, 
and it converted at 42%, you know, and it was a very small space where we had a very small amount of real estate to work with. So just making sure that every word is like pulling weight and getting the point across in a really concise way can be very, very powerful for sales. Um, And thirdly, which maybe I should have mentioned first, is it avoids disasters, (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, okay, copy disasters, but you know, it can be significant to small business owners. So sometimes all the time, we're really busy. Small business owners are really busy people and they don't always have the time to walk through, you know, a user flow to like go, okay, I'm going to read my own email and I'm going to click through to my own sales page. And from there, I'm going to click through to the checkout. Like, you know, these kind of things, or I'm going to do it all on mobile and on desktop, you know, like these are the kind of things that can easily get overlooked when you're trying to just get something out there. And sometimes, you know, what that can mean on the checkout, I'm coming back to the checkout page again, but like the price and payments are super unclear, or there's a weird tax being added that isn't explained, um, or there's a pop-up that you can't click away. And these are all real examples that I've seen in the wild. And that means all that work that you're doing to get leads, to warm them up, you know, getting them to the sales page, and then they're gone. And Mm. all that work is lost. And that to me is a disaster. (laughs) And, And they won't, people won't, very rarely will people reach out to you and tell you that that's happening. Mm. So that's, you know, it's really important to pay attention to this stuff. So anyway, there's loads, there's loads more. And if people want to learn all about it, they should hop on my email list because <laughs> I talk about this stuff all the time. <laughs> yes, you do. And speaking of your email list, how do you come up with such good email subject lines? <laughs> I think your most recent one was orange. Oh, I don't know. You tell funky, me. What... Funky orange gunk. That's right. <laughs> I was like, how can I not open this? Because it's, (laughs) what? (laughs) Tell me. Okay, so my process for coming up with um, email subject lines is to, first of all, write it last. So Mm -hmm. I write the email. So how it works in my system, I use ConvertKit. And I've got all my audiences set up. And for my newsletter broadcast, I just um, copy the previous email so that my audiences you know, come across with that so I don't yes. have to keep segmenting. Yes. Um, and it means that my old email, my old subject line come with it. So my old subject line sits in there. So I have to be very careful to always change it for one. Yes. Um, but then I'll write the email and go through all the rounds of editing that you go to and then I'll send myself a copy and that's where I sort of go through the final edit because I find it easier to see it in my um, in my Gmail account and actually go, okay, this is how I this is how someone, a user would actually see it. And I read through it and I just think what is the most interesting part of this email? Not what is it about, like more story-based. What is the most interesting thing? What is the hook that is going to grab people here? And how can I write about it in a way that triggers curiosity so normally it's picking a thing so that that funky orange gunk was about pawpaw cream um that was the story that then led into you know a ux or a copy tip the email that i wrote before that was um the worst five dollars i've ever spent and that was about a coffee so it's not it's not you know this like my emails always have a story or generally always have a story that then leads into sort of like a little lesson and usually the subject line is about the story because that's what's going to hook people in it's not focusing on this is an email about copywriting does Mm -hmm. that make sense and I try to keep it really really short 
Yes. Um, do you think that process is informs part of your copywriting, like what you do for your clients as well? Finding that story, that hook, that juicy thing that's like, oh, what's happening here? That just makes you read. Yes, absolutely. I think hooks are um, so, so powerful. You need to, and it's also what I teach inside my program, UX to Profit, which is currently in an... Um, is undergoing a bit of a rebrand. So it's probably going to be called something else, but maybe by the time this is published. But anyway, it's the only group coaching program I have. So that. Um, <laughs> and it's really about teaching people um, to marry, I guess, or to think of things from the user's perspective. So how can I hook them in? What's going on in their mind? Where are they at? You know, what's interesting to them? And then taking them on a journey that they actually want to go on, but that also meets a business goal. Mm. Yes. That's, I think, probably what people who do their own copy would struggle with, to bring all of that together, to find the hook, to fully understand their buyer and then yeah putting it together in a way I guess that a professional copywriter does but it's still helpful to get those tips because you know for so many small business owners they're not in the headspace to outsource copy or to outsource every element of their copy like you know captions for social media or um, their emails or, or whatever it is so those are still um, some helpful pointers for the rest of us who might be struggling <laughs> with copywriting um, yeah definitely um yeah, I, can, I totally appreciate that, you know, everyone is a copywriter to some extent. Yes. I think there is huge value in hiring a copywriter and, like, obviously I think a huge value in hiring a UX copywriter because sometimes people come to me and be like, you know, I want to create this thing and I'm like, okay, let's wind it back. Why? What are we trying to achieve? Have you talked to your audience? Like that's the value that a professional brings to something like that but you know writing your nurturing email who better who better than a small business owner it's really just about connecting with the person at the end at the other side and I think my biggest tip for that is to talk talk to people so I just I'm, I make it a point if I see someone new on my stories on Instagram or someone writes back to my I'm always encouraging people to write back to my emails and I always reply to them personally, but I will preemptively send little voice notes just to, you know, people that are connecting with me on Instagram just be like, oh, hey, like, so you saw that thing. Thanks so much for watching people like, whoa, wow, like you're writing to me. What's going on? And I'm like, no, this is. This is, um, first of all, I just love it and I love, I'm an extrovert and I love connecting with people. So I do have a bit of an advantage um, from that department. But second of all, for my own business, I need to be connected with my audience. I need to know what's going through their heads. If you're operating in a silo, it's going to be very hard to sell. Mm. Yes, I'm the same actually, because um, I think it's so important to show, especially in a service um, industry and product runs as well but um, I'm always like replying to people and just showing the, them that there's a human here because that's what it's all about whether you're a product brand or a service business it's about human interaction and human connection and feeling understood and seen and heard so yes I'm all for making that effort to connect directly <laughs> with people just like you're saying it makes such a difference and it builds that um like just that rapport and that affection, I guess, if you could go that far. Um, 
yeah, someone's just going to love your brand a little bit more and remember you. There's so many benefits. It's obviously not possible for every person in every business, but if it is within your capability, there's so much power in doing that. Yeah. Can I share another like really small little tip that has helped me even as well is to, is to go to the people who know you best. So your loved ones and ask them, what are things I say all the time? Or how do I call you? Or what are the little things that you always associate with me and start to weave those things through your copy? It's just something really small, but it makes it warmer and more human. And, you know, people will write back and be like, I hate it when I get a terrible coffee too. Or like, um, you know, like I just call people lovely. And so like in my emails, I would just call you lovely. Like I'll put a kiss at the end of my emails because I would always sign off an email with a kiss. Like, you know, those little things are very endearing to people and that's how you form real connection. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is how small business is done. Yes, I am so with you. That's the anthem. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> um, UX is a pretty niche field and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that happens in a business owner's evolution to get to the point where you're like, yep, this is what I'm going to focus on. It feels so right for me. What's your experience with finding a niche and only owning it? <laughs> yeah, it's been such a journey. <laughs> Um, yes. So like I said, I, I'm unusual because actually a lot of people come into. I'm unusual. (laughs) We all are. We all are. (laughs) But I guess in the sense that a lot of the more traditional path is people do copywriting and then sort of gravitate into UX. That's more of the trend that I see. Whereas I really got started first in UX writing. That's really where I began my career. Um, but at the time, because this was so long ago and I've been around the traps for a really long time, um, so it wasn't called UX writing back when I was doing it and we were called, I can't remember, I think e-commerce copywriters. So I thought I was a copywriter. I was doing UX writing, but I thought I was a copywriter. And when I moved back to Australia, I was working in Amsterdam and I moved back to Australia and I was like, hey, everyone, I'm a copywriter. Hire me. I'm amazing. Like I do all these A-B tests. I know like all about microcopy and all this amazing stuff. Um, And everyone was like, that's not what copywriting is. (laughs) And by everyone, I mean any potential employers that I went to a job interview for. (laughs) And we just had this real, I had this moment of disconnect and a moment of panic. And I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know what this thing is. Um, I need to learn copywriting. And I eventually got a job, um, you know, in an agency doing traditional copywriting. So I sort of went the other way. And that's where I really got a solid grounding in SEO and content and um, conversion copy. And so when I started my own business, sorry, bit of a long story, I'm trying to keep it short. But when I started my own business, basically, I was really confused. I was like, I've got these two skills and I don't know which one to focus on. And my clients were also split. I had UX writing clients and I had copywriting clients. And I was like, I don't, I feel like they go together. And when I'm doing UX, I'm also bringing copywriting skills to the table and when I'm doing copywriting I'm bringing UX skills to the table so in the end um, you know that's the that's the sort of side that I'm focusing on now is bringing UX into the copywriting world but it has definitely been an evolution and it's still evolving because this is all so new. Mm, Man and do you feel kind of like I don't know lonely because you (laughs) it sounds a bit like you know, it's an emerging field. 
I think UX alone, but UX copywriting is even more emerging, if that makes sense. Um, do you ever feel like, you know, I'm one of the only ones here waving a flag, <laughs> trying to spread the word and educate people about this game-changing aspect of business? Like, is that lonely? Like, how does it feel? Yeah, I mean, I think it feels really exciting, mostly, for the most part. And I just, you know, when people work with me or, um, you know, become a student in one of my programs, like it's it's a real light bulb moment, a bit like what you had when I was first talking about the benefits. Um, and that is really what fuels me to keep going. Um, it's also a privilege, like while it's really hard, I'm very privileged that I got into the industry at the time that I did. Um, you know, I'm sort of carving out a real space for myself and that's the value of niching. You become known for a certain thing. You get invited on amazing podcasts. People ask you to host masterminds. Like it's it's a very um, luxurious place to be in. So I do really believe in the power of the niche and I really love my niche. So yes, it's lonely, but I have a lot of... Um, you know, copywriter friends and business friends, and I'm on Voxer all day long. So it's it's lonely, but not as well. Mm. Are there other things you do to, I guess, like make sure that you're connecting with people? Because regardless of your niche, like if you're a small business owner, like you and I working from home, um, it can, I guess for me at least, it can feel like you're quite solo. <laughs> so how do you, I guess, bridge those connections and especially coming out of the pandemic when there have been no face-to-face -face events, which I know a lot of people thrive on. Yes, I am so glad the pandemic is almost over. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because a majority of my time in business has been during the pandemic. So I think it has been a very interesting and isolated experience but I just am so grateful for the online connections that I have and I actually feel really connected everyone told me you're going to miss the water cooler conversations and the you know your colleagues and there are some colleagues that I do really miss and you know would love I, I miss the access to to their genius like one thing I didn't really appreciate when I was working in corporate was that you've got all these geniuses around you. It's like the best masterclass. Anyone who's still working in corporate, I'm like, learn everything you can from these people. Like you've got, you know, access to designers and developers. Like they can teach you so much stuff. And when you're doing it on your own, you know, you need to pay for that to get, to get access to that same knowledge. So I miss more that kind of learning. But I'm someone um, that likes complete silence to work. So... I actually like being in my own house where it is complete. I live in a small coastal town. It is completely silent here. So, yeah, I kind of like it. Yes, I love this. Also, this the peace and the, the quiet of working from home too. But I definitely do not miss the politics at work and just like even sometimes having to be social and you don't feel like it. <laughs> that probably speaks to my personality or my mental state at the moment. But, yeah, just I don't really get too lonely because I'm quite happy in my own company. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do you feel about the balance, that elusive balance of working on and in your business? And like, how do you manage that? It's different for everyone, I know, but I'd love to hear from you about that. There have been, definitely been times when it's been really, really hard. And I have just been so busy with client work. I had one particular period where two 
massive, massive jobs coincided. So because of my UX experience, I do a lot of much bigger websites. I've done websites up to 150 pages um, in size. Yeah, huge. And these are like, you know, months and months and months of work. And I had two projects like that coincide and it was intense and there was no time to work, you know, um, I always get confused, work on my business <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for that. But I feel like I've reached, after that experience, I was like, okay, that's not sustainable. I need to find a good balance. And I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Again, I'll acknowledge my privilege. I've got lots of childcare. Um, so I'm able to work um, on client work three days a week and then work on my business two days a week. Ah, oh, that is a dream. <laughs> I work three days, I have three days of work a week and that's like from nine till three and it includes working on and in the business. So to hear someone who can have luxury of five days, that's incredible. It's a goal, I guess. But at the same time, I don't know if I'd want to work like a five-day kind of full-time Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I like it- you go. <laughs> no, sorry. I was just going to say that it's a really, these are really important conversations to have because it's really easy to see someone, you know, acing it on Instagram or whatever and be like, oh, why can't I get there? And just be like, well, because I literally have like a third of the time. Like, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's just about sustainable growth towards whatever it is that you want to grow towards as well Mm. not everyone wants to have a course or a podcast or a you know like it just it really depends on what your goals are and I think being really clear about what's important to you um you know is really important and at the I've definitely the first few years of my business had much less childcare. this is the first year that I've had the five days um you know and I've been able to move a lot faster because Mm. of it Yes, and mentally, maybe I imagine having like less of a stretch of a pressure on your time as a mum, <laughs> um, because you do have those extra days for work. That must make a difference too, because I know, like in my situation, I'm like, oh, it's three o'clock. I've got to get the children, then I go take them to the activities, and it feels like there's no kind of, I guess, crossover or time between switching off from copywriter mode to mama mode and then I'm just like ah all the time um no that is the same no matter how much time you make like there is that theory there is that theory that you will stretch any task to fit the amount of time Mm. that you have and it's it's the same at five I'm like oh my goodness I haven't done this thing and blah 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 but I do also um often do a little bit of work in the evening. So I'm like, even if I just, I just down tools and I like try to be a fully focused parent and then after bed, I will go back. And if there's anything I need to do, I do. Yes. I'm the same. I think it's about like the, the balance of on and in your business and being all the other people, the personas you need to be in your life, apart from working in your business. Um, it's about boundaries as well. And so one thing that I've done, um, is in my email signature, I've added in my work days and then I let people know, um, so I think it currently says my work days are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and the occasional stolen moment of Friday. <laughs> I know, it's beautiful. I saw that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's just to let people know that this is what I can do and there might be a little bit extra. You might hear from me on a Friday, but, um, yeah, it's about the boundaries and just doing your best to work within with what you've got, I guess. <laughs> I think um, I saw this amazing, I'm, I'm definitely a work in progress when it comes to boundaries. Um, 
but I saw this really great meme. I learned so much from memes. Um, <laughs> you are a meme thing. I've noticed that. <laughs> um, but they were like, basically, I've started writing down everything I need to do, everything I want to do, and everything everyone else needs to do. And I work through the list in that order. Does this mean I've just learned how to put boundaries into my life or something like that? It was said much, you know, wittier than that. Um, but I'm, I really adhere to that. So the night before... Every single day, it is an, the the only routine I really properly have is to write down the three most important things I want to get done the following day and to know that I can only do three things because my temptation is to write a list of 12 or 15 or 20 <laughs> things that I want to get done. But I'm like, no, what are the core three? And they have to be done mm. before anything else. And that has been like a total game changer for me. Wow. I know anxiety does love a list. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good way. I've also, like, I've tried that also, and I've also tried um, writing a list of, like, non-negotiables for my business and then non-negotiables for the rest of life, <laughs> and I try oh, yes. to tackle them both. But I've never really found uh, a way that makes me feel like, yes, you are doing enough and you can only, like, I, I constantly have to remind myself, yes, that's your list. You didn't make it through, but there's always another day. And you've done your very, very best with what you have in this moment of now. So yeah. just let it go, Rachel. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, so I actually put personal, if they're significant personal admin things, mm-hmm. I put them in that list of three. Oh, okay, cool. So at the moment I've got, you know, things like car rego and, um, you know, (laughs) school school applications and after-school care applications and things like that that take up a significant chunk of my day and they count towards the three. Yes. (laughs) Because you don't magically get like an extra two hours. (laughs) No, you don't. So what's your your dream workday like? I'll tell you mine. For me, it's a fitness session at about 7 a.m., it's coffee, must. <laughs> it's getting my three wildlings off to school and preschool, tidying the house because it, for me a tidy house helps me work more effectively <laughs> um, and then cracking open my work. And I also have to walk my dog. So um, I'll take a work break at some point in mid-morning, um, give him a walk and listen to a podcast. Um, that's kind of like my, I guess, ideal day. But what's yours? Great question. I love the days where I'm coaching or teaching inside my group program. They're like my favorite. That's like my favorite way to spend time and answering questions. Um, I think the first thing I tend to do, I've got a lot of um, business friends in the US. So usually when I wake up, I've got lots of lovely um, Voxer chats from them to listen to, like my own little personal podcast. Um, so I listen to all those and I'll take a few notes and things that I have to respond to and, um, you know, I'll make, make myself a cup of tea. And this morning I was reading um, a book by Anne Hadley, Everybody Writes. So I was like just, you know, having some relaxing time but also sort of getting into the work um, mindset. And then this is maybe going to um, alienate me from some of the parents who are listening right now, but I have really good sleepers. And so I have to wake them up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know it's terrible. Um, But yes, so I wake them up and then we all get ready and get off to school. And there's no point trying to do anything. Like I don't even think about like, this is just, you know, trying to get socks on little feet and lunch boxes in bags. Um, And then I'll sit down at my desk and I'll look at my list of three and I'll just 
get stuck in. But I do always go for a walk or a run um, somewhere in the day as well. Wow. That sounds like amazing. <laughs> I mean, everybody's dream day work day is different, but um, I like the sound of yours very much, especially the reading part, because for me that doesn't happen that often. Or if it does, it's like, Last thing at the end of the day when I tumble into bed and I'm like, oh, I really want to read that book. Come on, I stay open. <laughs> um, and I forgot too, I live by the ocean, so ocean swims, but it's winter now, so I'm not super brave. I'll occasionally go for a plunge if it's sunny, but um, in summer I would almost always go for a swim. Yes, you must. You've got to maximise your setting. <laughs> do you ever feel like sometimes you do have to hustle and push yourself though? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, yes, I, I do have a tendency to hustle, which isn't um, really in vogue at the moment or encouraged. And I just think everyone has to work to their own, you know, match the own beat of their drum. Um, and the beat of my drum is to uh, like just push and hustle and push through. And sometimes, you know, that means working when I'm sick or, you know, if I've got a deadline, I just will not miss it. I can't think of a time really, or maybe there's the odd, I can actually think of like two times where I've missed a deadline, but it was never a client deadline. Um, so I will do everything that I can to make that work, even if that means working really late into the night and when I was creating my group coaching program I was still working full-time on clients so it was all getting done you know late into the night and I just think sometimes you need that big push but inevitably you can't well I can't keep it up all the time so there'll be you know seasons seasons where I'm hustling and seasons where I can chill a little bit more and I tend to just be when I'm working I'm like incredibly focused and so that feels like hustling in a way, but it allows me to, when I stop, I also just completely stop. Mm. Wow. Sounds like there's a fair bit of, I guess, knowing yourself and knowing what's, what you've been called to do in that season and, yeah, self-discipline as well. Yeah, I think getting to know yourself is one of the most important I didn't realise when I started my business how important all the mindset stuff was going to be it is like everything and getting to know yourself and the way that you can work most effectively is so important and it's so individual and there isn't one right way. Um, you know, everyone will find a way that works for them. Mm, that is so true. It's something I think I've talked about with every guest on my podcast. Um, knowing yourself is, is everything. <laughs> it's kind of a major key to your success, I guess. It's also really hard and, <laughs> and like a lifelong pursuit, I think. Yes, especially because we're always evolving in like even in the most minor of ways and we might not even realise it. There's always there's a, like a continual shift happening within us. So the person that you know now is a little bit moulded in a slightly different way or focused somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah, we're always changing. Hey. What kind of things make you like stumble in your business these days? I'll give you an example. For me, it's comparisonitis <laughs> and feeling like, I guess sometimes I do feel like I have no cred to be putting myself out there <gasps> when I absolutely do. It's like... You do? <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. It's just my inner mean girl just putting your hand up. So, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's like kind of my irrational side. But I think it's important that we talk about these things because we're all, all 
fighting sometimes with ourselves in the same way. So what's put, put your experience in the ring. Tell us what makes you kind of question yourself at work. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really similar to yours. So it's, that's my turn to gasp. <gasps> <laughs> I know people would never know this about me, but I do, of course, have, um, you know, moments of self-doubt and thinking like, you know, like fear. Like what if I, you know, what if this thing fails or what if what if it fails publicly or what if I say the wrong thing, um, you know, those kind of things. And then that stops you from putting yourself or not you, uh, me, stops me from always putting myself out there as much as I could or things take me longer because I've got to work through that. But I do think that that is just part of being human. And just like, and just accepting that that is okay and part of the process and getting, um, you know, getting support, whatever that might look like to help you through that Mm. and not just staying in your head, percolating. Yes, that's killer, isn't it? Sometimes you just need to bloody kick yourself up the bum and say, you idiot. Yeah. (laughs) You're okay. Actually, part of that is getting into your, well, for me, when I say you, I mean me, um, getting into my physical body and reconnecting with my physical body in meditation, in, um, you know, putting away, taking out the AirPods, putting away the phone, like, and just looking out the window and engaging, I guess that's also just engaging with the natural world or exercising, all those kind of things that grounds me back in my body and gets me out of my head really helps with that but yeah I think self-doubt without a doubt is the is the biggest thing and if I didn't have that I feel like I would be unstoppable (laughs) but maybe it's to your benefit in some ways too having that self-doubt yeah I think I think it makes you a a a human (laughs) I think it's just (laughs) it's just part of the human experience isn't it and it makes and it's part of being curious and questioning and um all those things yeah it's true Okay, let's talk about money. About? <laughs> money. Oh, okay. <laughs> Change of topic. Um, investing in your business is a yes. thing that I've noticed you sharing a fair bit about lately on your socials. Um, what's your take on spending money in your business? Yeah, I've done like a total 180 on, on this. Um, so early on in my business, I heard someone say like that they – you know, hadn't invested in their business and that, that, you know, they were doing amazingly. And I was like, oh, you know, I work hard. I'm smart. I can do this on my own. Um, And then, (laughs) and so I did. And I, you know, I did pretty well pretty early on. Like my, I've never really, like my business has always had steady growth year on year, which I'm really happy with. Um, And then I did, then I did make, you know, a few investments. So I did a course, I can't remember what it was called. It was by Tarzan K and it's no longer available, but it was something like six-figure freelancer or something like that about um, becoming a successful freelancer. And I did Brain Camp, which is about psychology-backed um, copy with Kirsty Fanton, who I'm sure a lot of people will know. Um, and if you don't, she's amazing. Um, and I was like, I had this light bulb moment. I was like, oh, right. So when you invest, <laughs> it exponentially speeds up your growth. <laughs> Or that has been that has been the case for me. So I was it just sort of like even though it might seem obvious, I was like, oh, literally the best copywriters in the business 
will tell you all their secrets inside these programs, you know, and you will get to know people that will really help you on your journey, whether it's just, you know, feeling less lonely or whether it's bouncing business ideas around inside these groups, um, you know, it just, it really, really helped me in my business. So I choose really wisely. I choose um, programs usually that I've had on my eye on for a while and I've watched a few, um, you know, a few rounds go by or I get a recommendation from someone. Um, and at the moment, I'm actually doing two programs simultaneously. Um, and I just finished up with Shrimp Club, which is Laura Belgray's mastermind. So yeah, I'm a late bloomer to like <laughs> the course or in the investment, um, investing in course and career progression. But yeah, I'm really into it. And I've just, you know, there are certain things. So one of the courses I'm doing at the moment is represented, which is a diversity, equity and inclusion um, course by Uplifting Studios. And this was just an area that I felt was integral to creating a business that I wanted to create and to become more outspoken, you know, a more outspoken ally and better at talking about, you know, my stance on um, being an anti-racist. But it was something that I just didn't feel I had you know, the skills to equip myself with. And it got to the point where I was like, that's not good enough. I need to invest, you know, in expertise that can help me do that. And that's, you know, that's literally what it's helped me do. So, yeah, I just think it's, I think it's great and it's for me, but I do also want to acknowledge that I'm in a privileged position where I am making, you know, good profit in my business. And I'm at a point where I'm happy to put that money back into my business. Mm. And that is a privilege. Yes, it is. I think wherever you're at in business, if you're going to do courses and memberships and things like that, you're going to, like, it's a well-considered decision, <laughs> regardless of how much profit or not you've got or money to spend on it, because it's a, there can be a big undertaking. Like it's often, maybe it's a 12-month mm-hmm. commitment or just a three-month thing, but it takes a lot of energy and time to get out kind of all that's available in them. So, yeah, for anyone, we can be, um yeah just thinking about <laughs> what how you're going to spend your money and if it's really going to give you the growth that you want yeah and if you're committed to doing the work yeah definitely you have a course and the I know you've got also the UX writer's guide and I imagine they're really effective in bringing in a bit of extra income um yep. especially the guide if it's a passive um income thing which is as we said before, in vogue um, at the moment, what advice could you give to others who might be looking for ways to boost their bottom line with products or courses or things like that? Yeah, first of all, I want to say about the UX Writer's Guide, I am going to be retiring that product really soon. That's major. That is major and it's been a very hard decision to make because um, it's helped a lot of people. I get good feedback on it. It sells well. Um, But it is not where I'm focused at the moment. I'm much more focused in bringing this UX way of thinking into the copywriting world. And the UX Writer's Guide is very specifically like almost a type of mentorship um, for people that are starting out in UX writing, so within those product teams um, themselves. So it's just not really aligned. And I'm like, you know, sometimes you've just got to make those hard decisions and just stay focused. So, yeah, that one is going to be retiring soon. So if anyone's interested, reach out now (laughs) to find out about it. Um, But I guess my tip for anyone interested in, you know, doing it, And I hope this helps because the overarching advice that you hear all the time is just do it, get it out there. 
which is very easy to say and very, very hard to do because it took me, sorry, I'm getting very passionate and just throwing cups off my desk now. Um, An impassioned podcast, I love it. um, But, yes, so it took me a long time to get it out there. And once I did, I had this realisation and this is, and I knew this academically, but it felt very different when I was doing it myself. And it's like your first iteration that's not the end. That's the beginning. That's the first step. So there's a concept, um, you know, in UX called minimum viable product. So you get the first thing out and then you get live feedback and you make it better and it continues to grow and it's an evolution. And that's really important. And it's also um, another really helpful um, UX framework to think about is design thinking. Again, this is all about designing and creating really useful, successful products. And it's just a process where you, um, you know, you're constantly engaging and talking to the people that you're solving a problem for because your course or your resource or whatever you're creating, it needs to solve a problem. So you need to talk to people and find out, you know, how, where the intersection is between the problem that they have and something you can offer to solve that problem. So I think once you've found that intersection, it becomes a little bit more organic and easier to create because you've got a very clear sort of purpose. Um, But yeah, just taking that first step, getting something out there, getting feedback and just keep going. I think the thing that causes a lot of people to stumble from what people have said is just you know, perfectionism, wanting to get it right first time and just adopting a growth mindset that you probably won't get it 100% right first time and that is okay and just to just to do it, just to get it out there. Yes, that is wonderful advice, especially <laughs> if you're afraid. Like I think taking risks like that, like it makes you afraid and you're like, no, no, I can't do it, can't do it. <laughs> but I really want to. <laughs> no, no, you can't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really helpful advice. Um so is this a risk for you, like taking retiring that product? Does that feel risky? It does in a way. <clears throat> but what am I really risking? I can bring it back. True. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, in a way it feels risky, but I also I feel like momentum, momentum is the opposite of risk. So how am I? <laughs> that is a terrible sentence. Am I a writer? Um, no. So it's like my most important thing or what is going to keep me moving forward and what is going to make me ultimately successful is to maintain momentum in my business. And that means making decisions and knowing that after I make that decision, I can make another decision and another decision. It's not, nothing is sort of the end or final. It's a process. And so that's something that really just keeps me moving forward and keeps me making decisions quickly. Yes. Wow. That's good thinking. I like that. Um, Go forth. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about a time when you had a win in your business and I guess how you honoured that like hard work and that faith in yourself and that commitment. How did you celebrate that that win? I don't know that I'm the best person to answer this question, but I'll do (laughs) I tend to to just keep moving forward, um, which is something that I think a lot of people can probably relate to. And it's, I I liken it to when I was learning Dutch um, as an adult. And um, 
I would always just see how far I had to go. Like I would always be like, oh, I didn't understand it when they said that thing to me and we had to switch to English. I would never go, you know, I got a good way into that conversation, you know, before we had to speak to English or I spoke, you know, Dutch in a restaurant and they actually, <laughs> they actually spoke Dutch back instead of like, because they hear my accent, sometimes people just switch back to English because it's, you know, um, mm. a lot of Dutch people speak amazing English yes, as well. Yes, I think they speak English almost better than many of us a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, but I would never, I would never congratulate myself. I would always beat myself up. And I think it can be the same in business where you're just like, okay, that thing's done, now on to the next thing. But I do think I really celebrated when I worked on um, a big 150-page website and I had a lot of responsibility within that team too. I was training teams, um, you know, writing documentation, figuring out workflows, writing microcopy for related apps and portals. It was like a really, really mammoth project. And it was so fun and amazing. Um, and it felt so great to lead and teach Um but I think when it when we got to the end and when it when it launched, there was definitely um, a popped bottle of champagne, and it was during lockdown, so it was just me and my husband. But it was it was very very nice to yes. just yeah. And every now and then, I just go back and look at it and go, oh, <laughs> wow, this is really good. <laughs> oh, yes, I know. Sometimes it's the perspective, and you're like, oh, actually, I did an awesome job. I should have celebrated. I should have stopped <laughs> and acknowledged that. Oh. Um, Thinking about like going back and perspective, if you could go back in time, like rewind the clock to the Susan just starting out in your business, what would you say to her? Um, just launch the damn course you're carrying around in your head already. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I had an idea for the for the course like five years before I launched it. Yeah. Wow. That you know, and I'm up to my third launch now of it and it's really starting to build momentum. But I'm like, imagine if I'd started five years before, you know. So I think I would just be like, just do it. Just get it out there. You'll learn something. Um, but that said, I'm happy with how my business has gone over the last three years. I've met amazing people. I've done amazing work. Um, you know, it's allowed me to live where I want to live because I work from home. Um, it's just been such a privilege and an honour and I just really, really enjoy it and I think I'm really lucky. So I'm not sure I don't have any, like, real regrets about my business. Well, that's a good way to be, I think, because you can't go back. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't change what's, what's being done, can you? Um, no. <laughs> well, thank you so much for letting me ask all those questions and dig things out of your brain and sharing with us about UX and your business life and all the behind the scenes stuff. It's been awesome. Uh, such a great podcast. I'm, I'm so happy that you've done this and just feel so honoured to be one of your early guests. Ah, so thank, thank you. you so much. <laughs> um, and just remind us, where can we go to look at your courses, look at your stuff and get to know more of you? Yes. Um, so you can go to my website, which is Um, I am lucky. So I've got this last name that is very unique. Um, it's R-E-O-C-H. So you can also look me up on Instagram and LinkedIn and you will, you will find me. <laughs> Unlike me, when people search Rachel Green, oh, they come yes. up with Rachel Green from Friends. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. I've never made that connection. What? No, 
nobody says it to me. Like it's often the first thing someone will say. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Legend. Thanks for listening to Rise and Shine. Head to your podcast player, leave a review and subscribe so we can spread the love to more brave, business-minded women like you. You can find me online at shinecopy.com.au.